one psychologist, 20 plus years of experience, and thousands of patients. I'm Dr. Jennifer Pavlik Bellingrot, and you're listening to the Psych with a Mic podcast. Let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Today we are looking at marriage and how to keep it off of autopilot. Because who can't use a little help making their marriage better, right? This is part one of a multi-part series on making your marriage work. Let me throw out a quick word of caution. Today's podcast does include some discussion of explicit sexual acts. So if little ears are present or you are triggered by brief references to sexual acts, you may want to skip this podcast. So, moving on, let me start with a story. A while back, we were in the car headed to the airport for a trip home to see family in Texas. As we loaded everyone in the car and pulled out of the driveway, I was silently running through my personal travel checklist that goes something like this. Did I pack my medications and supplements? Yes. Do I have pajamas? I don't know why, but I often forget pajamas when I travel. But yes, I had packed some this time. Do I have my ID and credit card? Double-checked my wallet, and yes, those items were there. Do I have cash to tip the shuttle driver? Check. Do I have my phone? Um... I plopped my giant travel purse on my lap and looked in it to make sure I had my phone. I couldn't find it, but I felt certain I had thrown it in there. Just as I was about to ask my husband to turn around, I set the bag back on the floorboard and found my phone sitting in my lap. I had literally set my phone in my lap to pick up my purse and rummage through to ensure that I had my ID, credit card, cash, all the things. I set my purse right on top of my phone without even thinking and then quickly forgot I had done that. Okay, to my credit, it did kind of blend in with the dress I was wearing that day. Okay, not really, I'm lying. But it did get me to thinking about how many things like that we as humans do on a regular basis. How many times do we just roll through situations on autopilot? How many times are we mindlessly going through life? How many times do we do things without even recognizing that we've done them? Come on, you know you've done it. Remember that time you drove through an intersection and then found yourself wondering if the light was green when you drove through? Or maybe you mindlessly eat in front of the television and before you know it, you've eaten half a bag of chips or a giant serving of candy or popcorn. Or maybe you found yourself turning onto your street and realizing you weren't fully present or aware while you were driving, and you find yourself a bit surprised that you're suddenly pulling into your driveway. These are examples of mindlessness, or what I'm referring to as being on autopilot. Once I told my husband that I had found my phone and we all had a good chuckle at my mindlessness, the situation got me thinking about what's come across my couch over the years in relation to the concept of being on autopilot. And the thing that stood out the most was the stories of this occurring in marriage. Just going through the motions of a relationship, like ships passing in the night, not really making efforts at connecting in various ways on a regular basis. Had my grandfather not died in early 2017, my grandparents would have celebrated 70 years of marriage that summer. Can you imagine? 70 years. Nearly three quarters of a century. That is an incredibly long time to spend with one person. And they were together all the time, day in and day out. 
They lived together, worked nearly every day in their grocery store chain together, slept together, flew to attend grocers' conventions together, went to church together, took road trips together, cooked Sunday dinner for all of us together, you name it. Needless to say, they knew each other really well. They were like two peas in a pod. They knew everything about each other. The good and the bad of their lives had bonded them over the years. If you watched Gigi and Papa, as our kids call them, they had an amazing flow. Whether they were putzing around in the garden, working together behind the grocery store meat counter, or cooking together in the kitchen, they were a pair, a team. They'd been together for so long that they seemed to have an unspoken language between them. Dare I say they could read each other's minds. There are many things that they assumed about each other and did for each other without asking. And this worked for them. They would still thank each other for even the littlest of things. They had developed a certain rhythm in their relationship with each other. They just knew. It truly brings tears to my eyes to think about this kind of love. It wasn't perfect. They had their spats at times, but they loved each other through it all and truly enjoyed being together, even after almost 70 years of marriage. In many marriages, though, assumptions don't work so well. Instead, these failed attempts at mind reading result in misunderstandings, errors in judgment, bickering, resentment, anger, fighting. You get the idea. These things can occur because of a lack of connection between two people, meaning one person misses the mark in trying to relate to or connect with the other. Or they may be simple mistakes based on lapses in memory, harmless efforts, the mishearing of previously stated information, or even well-intentioned attempts at connection. But they fall flat because they are based on erroneous assumptions. The antidote for this is communication, both ways. Each spouse should be clear with the other when their partner's apparent assumptions are missing the mark. Clear, non-defensive communication about this is key. Just a simple, calm discussion from a place of love is all it takes. Then, the spouse who receives the feedback about how they missed the mark, even if it wasn't intentional, must respond in a non-defensive way, acknowledge and validate their spouse, if possible, and then apologize for assuming. Here's the thing, guys. At the end of the day, if you can't assume the best of intentions on the part of your spouse and acknowledge the effort they tried to make, you have bigger issues. If you can't trust your spouse to have good intentions and your best interests at heart, you should probably do the work of discerning why that is. Ten to one, it's trust issues based in baggage you brought to the marriage, or problems related to your spouse's past behavior, or your own behavior that you're projecting onto your spouse. Any way you look at it, trust is the cornerstone of marriage. It comes even before love. Think about it. If I can't trust my husband, how could I possibly give my heart to him in love? You married your spouse based on some level of trust. Whether you were misguided in that line of thinking, love blind, or the stuff has hit the fan since y'all have been together, you've got bigger fish to fry. You have to work to resolve the trust issues before you can do anything else well. Now, in any marriage, there's a natural tendency towards separation or drift, even isolation. It starts out harmless enough, but can grow out of control like weeds in a flower bed if it's not tended. 
Good marriages, then, are characterized by conscious, conscientious, and concerted daily effort and work. Autopilot is not an option. Instead, solid and strong marriages must run not on autopilot, but on manual control. So what does marriage on manual control look like, Jen? Well, I'm glad you asked. It involves commitment to growing together and evolving as a team, which in turn involves consistent and persistent effort. Anything worth having involves work. Y'all know that. Things like weekly or monthly date nights or marriage seminars or retreats are wonderful if you can pull them off. But the effort I'm talking about is daily and intentional. Let me create a visual to make this clearer. Y'all know how much I love these. So think back to the time you were dating your spouse. Back then, if your significant other wasn't making consistent and persistent effort to get your attention, showing you how much they cared, making it clear how much they wanted to spend time with you, you wouldn't have wanted to marry them. At least you shouldn't have. Who'd want to be a part of that? Now imagine the things your significant other did to demonstrate their love and caring, and think about the things you did to demonstrate those same things. Then, pretend you're still dating your spouse and keep doing those things to show your interest. The trick is to never stop pursuing your spouse. Never stop reminding them of all the wonderful reasons they married you and reminding yourself of why you married them, why you ever fell in love with them in the first place. This is one of the most common questions I ask couples, actually, when they first come into my office for marital therapy. Why do you love this guy? Why'd you fall in love with this gal? Sometimes just thinking back about that is enough to move a marriage in a different direction. Or at least give them pause. Make them reflect on what it is that they fell in love with about their spouse. And that can create enough positivity that maybe they're willing to work on the marriage, even if it's just for a little bit or for that session that day. So how does this translate into married life and daily interactions? Well, the ways to approach this are many, but let's take a look at some basic concepts to include in your efforts. I'm going to walk through seven of the areas of importance in marriage today. These can be applied whether your marriage is struggling or if your marriage is doing pretty well overall and you just want to build on what you have or check to make sure you are in tune with one another in some important areas. Okay, here we go. Number one, love. This includes both words and actions. So say, I love you often and mean it. Say, I love you, not just love you or love ya. There's a difference, trust me. And it never gets old. Say it often. Actions are very important, but these three little words still mean the world. At a minimum, Kiss and hug each other upon waking, saying goodbye, reuniting at the end of the day if you've been apart, and before going to bed. Just so we are clear about whose responsibility it is, let me elaborate. Can you tell I've had couples fight about whose responsibility it is and who should go first? Okay, first of all, whoever gets up second should seek out the person who's already awake to hug and kiss them. Whoever leaves the house first should seek out the person they're leaving behind. Whoever gets home second should seek out the person who's already there. And whoever goes to bed first has the responsibility of seeking out the one who's staying awake to say goodnight. 
As a sidebar, you should also do these same things with your children. Next, comment on or write out a card expressing your love for your partner by saying how happy you are that God put you two together, how much you enjoy doing life with your spouse, and how there's no one else with whom you'd rather grow old. Let your actions match your verbal expression of love. We'll look at ways to do this more in a bit, but you can't say I love you to your spouse or tell them that they are the most important person in the world to you and then act in ways that don't match up with this. Number two, thoughtfulness. This is simple, really. It's just about keeping your spouse at the forefront of your mind, the ultimate VIP in your life. For example, prepare your wife's coffee the way she likes it. Bring your husband his favorite candy bar for no reason other than to convey that he was on your mind. Offer your spouse a beverage or snack while you're up getting yourself one. Offer to make your spouse breakfast if you're up first or if they're running around trying to get things ready for work or tending to the kids. Number three is encouragement. This is simply about being your spouse's biggest cheerleader. Unless they're doing something illegal, unethical, immoral, or otherwise damaging, you should always be supportive of your spouse and encouraging them along their journey, whatever that looks like. Maybe they're working on a big career promotion. Maybe they're really unhappy in their current job and want to look for something else. Maybe they want to try a new disciplinary approach with the kids. Maybe they want to get an evaluation to help on their health journey. Whatever it is, you should be your spouse's biggest cheerleader. Don't know how to support them? Just ask. Next, you should always want the best for your spouse. If you find it difficult to encourage your spouse in their positive pursuits, straight up, there is something wrong with you. Most likely, it's your insecurity that's morphing into jealousy and keeping you from being available to them and open to their endeavors and successes. If so, figure out how to get over yourself. You can start by sharing your insecurities calmly and diplomatically with your spouse, or you can talk to a trusted mentor about your struggles, or you can seek an evaluation by a therapist to see what's going on for you for real and how you can overcome it. Whatever it is, figure out how to get over it. Number four, compassion. Be present and kind when your spouse is going through something tough. Truly listen when your spouse needs to talk about something. Give them your undivided attention. Really listen, though, versus thinking about what you're going to say next. Ask what you can do if your spouse has a long to-do list for the day. Maybe ask how you can help if your spouse is ill or having a bad day. Celebrate the big accomplishments of your spouse. Be patient if your partner is struggling with something. Check on them to make sure they're okay and ask how you can be supportive or helpful. Number five is respect. You can bury a marriage with a lot of little digs. So don't talk ill of your spouse or poke fun of them in front of your friends. Or to them directly for that matter. Never ever call your spouse unkind, derogatory, or demeaning names. That's abusive and wrong. Period. Never is there ever a time that it's okay to call your spouse a bad name. This is an absolute, y'all. If you're inclined to insult or otherwise verbally abuse your spouse, I have two words for you. Grow up. If this is you, you need to really take a good long look at yourself. 
It's a form of bullying, and bullying comes from immaturity, insecurity, and ignorance. If you don't agree, think of it this way. If you insult someone, you're trying to knock them down. Well, you'd only need to do that if you are subconsciously trying to elevate yourself or make yourself feel better in some way, even if it's just trying to shut them down or, on the other hand, provoke them to upset so you can say things are their fault. And why would you need to elevate yourself or make yourself feel better if you were already secure and confident? I mean, come on, be honest with yourself here, guys. For more on bullying, go listen to podcast episode number five. Now, number six is trustworthiness. And as I mentioned, trust is the cornerstone of marriage, and you have to demonstrate this on a regular basis. Let me start with rule number one in this area. Boy, this is going to get some of you going. Rule number one, there is no privacy in marriage. That's right, none. If you want privacy, stay single. If you're committing to sharing your life with someone, that means all of it. You shouldn't have secrets or something to hide. Now, I don't mean you have to detail every bad decision you made or every single poor behavior you engaged in from the time you were little, but there shouldn't be any secrets in your ongoing relationship. For instance, I should be able to pick up my husband's phone to look for the landscaper's number or something random like that and not have him be upset by that or worried that I'll find something he doesn't want me to see. And he should be able to do the same. We should have nothing to hide. In addition, you should have each other's passwords and other access information. No secrets. What would you need to keep from your spouse other than like the coordination of a surprise birthday party for them or maybe their Christmas present or something like that? If you don't like the idea of someone else being in your business, someone else to whom you are fully and totally accountable, please don't get married. You can't handle it. Next, We demonstrate trustworthiness by being honest with our words and accountable with our actions. This means being truthful when we speak and ensuring that our actions match our words. That is, if you say you love your spouse, you should do things to demonstrate that and not do things that don't. Along those lines, your spouse should know your whereabouts during the day. First and foremost, this is just for safety reasons. Now, I don't mean if you run out on an errand over your lunch break or your spouse runs to the grocery store or hardware store while you're not at home. I mean, bigger things, like if you won't be home from work at your normal time. Heaven forbid you aren't home an hour past your normal time and your spouse has no idea where to look for you or what to tell the police if an hour turns into many. Beyond safety, it's just about being accountable, keeping your spouse posted on what you're doing. If you want to go to an impromptu dinner with friends, you should check with your spouse to ensure they have nothing going on and can be with the kids. If you don't have kids, it's still the right thing to do to ensure your spouse didn't have something else planned for the two of you. Now, I can hear some of you groaning about this. Calm down. It's not about asking for permission, but rather being courteous and coordinating plans. Being a team. Remember, you love this person, and there's no one you'd rather be with. At least that's how it should be. Number seven is commitment. Now, you would think this one is common sense, but as I've said before, sometimes common sense ain't so common. Of course, commitment in a marriage involves a ceremony of some sort to exchange vows and pledge to spend your lives together for better or worse. Commitment also means that it's only the two of you in the relationship, come hell or high water. 
This means you and your spouse should not have relationships with people of the other gender who are not family. Marriage is already under attack in America, with a divorce rate of about 50%. We certainly don't need to increase the challenges of marriage or the chances of something inappropriate happening. For example, you should not be going to lunch with your coworker of the other gender. You should not be doing physical training with someone of the other gender on a regular basis. Now, if your spouse is okay with it, that's between y'all, but I do not advise it. Why set yourself up for failure, for the possibility of things appearing inappropriate, or the chance that you find yourself tempted? This includes talking to someone of the other gender about your marital satisfaction, or the lack thereof. Let me elaborate. Say you go to dinner with a coworker of the other gender, presumably to discuss a work project. But you have a couple of drinks and start talking about how unhappy you are in your marriage, how it's so nice to be out, how you and your spouse just don't seem to have time to go out, or how you wish your spouse would invite you out to dinner. The following week, you and that same coworker are working closely together at the office on that project, and you all end up staying beyond the close of business after everyone else has gone home. Maybe you also had a disagreement with your spouse that morning, left in a tizzy, and are feeling emotionally vulnerable. You start talking to your coworker about this and they try to offer support. Maybe even try to hug you. Okay, you get the idea, right? Talking to someone of the other gender about your marital dissatisfaction is actually one of the situations that most frequently leads to eventual infidelity. Plus, the emotional connection between the two parties is in and of itself a form of cheating, but I'll say more about that in a minute. While we're on the subject of commitment, let me be clear that there are many ways to cheat. Obviously, having sex of any kind with another person is cheating. And let me be blunt, in case anyone wants to feign ignorance on this one, don't think that actual sexual intercourse is the only way to cheat on your spouse. I know, I know, this should be obvious, but you guys would be surprised. Any form, any form of sexual interaction with someone else is cheating including kissing, oral sex, touching, or manual stimulation. Also, looking at pornography, whether or not you are masturbating while doing it, is a form of cheating because it involves bringing others into your relationship. Plus, there's that phenomenon of what's known as porn creep that can damage your marital sexual relationship, but that's probably a podcast unto itself. Just don't do it. As I mentioned earlier, having a relationship with someone of the other gender wherein you are sharing intimate details about yourself or your marriage is a form of emotional connection, and that is a form of cheating. When I've talked to people who've been cheated on and their spouses have cheated emotionally and physically, they will tell you any day, all day long, I'd rather my spouse cheated on me physically than emotionally because emotionally is so much more painful. Knowing that your spouse can't connect with you emotionally is incredibly painful. That distance, that disconnect, it's very damaging and painful. Now, don't misunderstand. The physical cheating is obviously incredibly painful. Not to mention the fact that you could contract an STD or something like that and pass it on to your spouse and without even knowing it. So none of it is good. But don't think that just because it's just an emotional connection with another person, it's not that damaging. Because trust me when I tell you, it is. I've heard countless stories. 
Okay, those are the areas for today, and these are just some of the things that make a marriage work, of course. Next week, we'll look at part two of Marriage on Autopilot. So be sure to turn on notifications on your favorite podcast platform to be alerted of the release of that. Listen, y'all, your spouse should be your favorite person and the one most important to you. So doing these things should not be a big deal and should come pretty naturally once you get used to sharing your life with someone. In the meantime, pick some and get started. Like I said, we can all use marital improvement. Nobody's perfect. It's not too late to turn things around or at least make changes in yourself for the better, though, if your relationship is on the rocks. Maybe it will even be contagious to your spouse. Remember, a little means a lot. One more thing, you may be asking who should start. Who should go first in making these efforts? I say the bigger person should be the one to do that. Ooh, the gauntlet has been thrown, y'all. Who's going to be the bigger person? As always, remember that our chat today is not a substitute for an evaluation by a licensed provider. If you think you need help, get it. Set up an evaluation with a professional and see how you can better yourself, regardless of what state your marriage is in or is going to be in. You really have nothing to lose. Of course, if you want more information on teletherapy or coaching sessions with me, just visit my website, drbellingrot.com. And that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Until next time, I wish you peace, blessings, and fantastic mental health. Take good care and drink more water.